welcome to the fifth episode, week four, of our playthrough on Overthinking It Book Club of Final Fantasy VI. And everything has changed. The world as you know it is over. I'm Peter Fenzel. I am hosting this week's panel in the absence of Ben Adams, who has been cast from a floating continent into the yawning maw of the open sky after his ambitions plunged him. I think he's working on school stuff. I'm not sure. He'll be back next week. But for this week, I am the Wicked Emperor <laughs> of our lovely panel of panelists. I have not been able to in- to uh, join this, this uh, book club, and I'm really excited to join you guys and talk about about what's also one of my favorite video games of all time, and I really value how all the substantial and substantive discussion you all have been having about this, uh, particularly about how awesome Ultros is, and uh, we will go into that in depth on this episode, because it's not like Ultros ceased to be awesome in this section of the game. So for this, the fifth episode, week four of our playthrough, just to review, we are discussing Vector and the Magitech Research Facility all the way through Thamasha and Strago and Realm to the and you guys can correct me on pronunciation for any of that if it happens to be off, all the way to the floating island and the end of the world. And we will pick up next week in the next week of our syllabus with the world of ruin and the amazing shack of fish, which maybe we'll touch on if we have extra time, but we probably won't have extra time tonight because there is a lot to talk about. Our panel today, panel, I know in the Overthinking It podcast, we usually start with some sort of question. I think Ben is a little bit less formal about these things than I am, maybe a little bit, but I do want to introduce everybody on the panel and say hi to everybody. So I guess I'll just sort of ask, uh, you know, how, how awesome is Ultros? Um, catch me up on how awesome Ultros is, uh, or maybe what your favorite part. Maybe what your favorite part of of this segment of the playthrough is, and, and I'll go through one by one, uh, and I'll start with John Perich, a, a, a compadre from other quarters. Uh, very, very humble and glad and to see you in this book club, sir. Uh, one up, how- one up, <laughs> one up. Sorry, that was a that was a request from a from a Twitter follower. Uh, today from one of our, our many Twitter fans. So, uh, uh, thanks. Thanks guys. I, uh, actually, sorry, I should, I should credit them properly. Uh, why does it not have that here? Uh, sorry, I'll get back to it. But in the meantime, why is Ultros awesome? Cause he brings a friend this time. <laughs> he, he does. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't just show up on his lonesome. He has a friend, uh, typical Ultros fashion. This friend doesn't talk. Because uh, Ultros can't let anyone else get a word in edgewise, but he does have many powerful attacks, which sort of propel you to the next stage of plot, but ultimately don't harm you in any real way. Excellent, awesome. Yeah, and what is it? Chupon, right? Good old Chupon. Good old Chupon of the sneeze attack has joined us this week uh, in in this part of the playthrough. That's excellent. That's awesome. And you know what? I'm going to add another question to this run through because this is the question I really wanted to ask you guys, and I really don't remember or know if you addressed this in an earlier episode. But I want to ask you: How do you do? You rename your characters? Have you been going with the default names for all the characters this game, or have you been renaming them as you go? And if so, what schema? Like, how do you decide how you're renaming? Naming your characters. Uh, so I'll, I'll tag back in on this one and then, sorry, pass it on to other people. Yeah. Uh, I used to do a thing where I would just rename them with correct punctuation just because I felt <laughs> it was a little weird that everyone's was continuously all caps. Right. Uh, so I just, I just wanted to correct that. Uh, and I also should give credit to uh, Tim Swan, a uh, longtime listener, big fan of the podcast, who was the one who told me to say one up, one up, one up. Sorry, Tim, I forgot it was you, but I looked up on Twitter and, and there you were. Great, 
Excellent. And so we'll jump to our next member of the panel now with two questions. I'm not going to build a pyramid with additional questions each time. We'll keep it simple. I also kind of like how this uh, book club, listening to it, listening to the previous episodes, you guys got a kind of mellow feel. It's like a little bit slower. It's like a little bit more. It's like we're sipping on a little bit of tea or a little bit of Cavassier or something while we're talking about our video games. I like it. Uh, Jordan Stokes. Jordan Stokes, what's your weekly Ultros update and how do you name your Final Fantasy characters? <laughs> I feel like I'm high in the alphabet for this podcast. It's, it's an uncomfortable situation. Um, I I was thinking about what the most awesome individual part of this is rather than what's awesome about Ultros, although everything would be the answer there. Um, what I really like about this chapter is the the way that it builds stakes. It's no one thing, but like the slow ramping up of many different things over time. Maybe we can come back to some of that a little bit later. Um, I I usually do the thing actually exactly that John was saying is I like I go ahead and uh, put lowercase letters in where lowercase letters are appropriate. Although this time I consciously did not do that and just uh, left left them exactly as they were, so that you get funny sentences like um, "Oh wait, we have to go. We have to wait for shadow before we go back." <laughs> Oh man, that's a whole other question. Whether whether you waited for Shadow or not, I'm assuming that most people waited for Shadow because at this point, anybody even remotely familiar with the game probably knows that that's what happens. I guess unless somebody's really playing truly blind, but that's another thing we need to touch on. But I can't keep stacking questions. Things get crazy if I keep stacking questions. Um, okay, so we'll jump on to the next member of our panel, and I just realized that I've made a, a horrific alteration in the normal order of things by going alphabetical by first name rather than by last name, which I. Think think i've done before uh but you know what that's the reality that's what's happening so we're going to live with it so our next panelist is justin bortnick justin i have not had the pleasure of being on a podcast with you uh before sir but i hear you've been holding it down on this one quite well oh geez uh i didn't know that i'd been doing that but i'm glad that somebody tells me (laughs) (laughs) all right excellent so tell me tell me what you uh what tell me what you think about this week in final fantasy what part really if you connected with a part of it or an ultros of it or something of that (laughs) nature and also just whether you rename your characters i'm gonna jump on the renaming uh one first because uh i actually didn't rename them in this because i thought we might have enough naming confusion because of different translations already but uh depending on the game i will sometimes rename characters to if I know that they've had their names changed from the Japanese names, sometimes I'll rename them that, or sometimes I will name them uh, a silly joke, like I say, so that whenever you get addressed, the character who's talking to you will just say, like, I say, you need to save the princess. <laughs> <laughs> just huff, huff, and a monocle. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Right. I love it. I love it. See, that's that's. I'm seeing that sneak in. That's always been a huge part of my experience with Final Fantasy, and I've been I've been surprised that everybody's been approaching these names, which I find to be a little bit counterintuitive and tricky to grasp sometimes. Uh, but everyone's hewing to them. People seem to generally like them. But I'm, I'm glad to see a little bit of whimsy sneak in. Speaking of a little bit of whimsy sneaking in, last in line is Richard Rosenthal. How you doing, Richard? Hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Yeah. How's your week in Final Fantasy? How's your week in Ultros and related things? Uh, every week in Ultros is a great week in Ultros. <laughs> that is reflexive and is thus true. Excellent. So yeah, tell 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 us about uh, your your week in playing Final Fantasy and your naming philosophy. Okay, well I've been uh, I've been getting I've been pretty interested in the uh, the magic system. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. okay. Um, going around and. Just going around with the espers and building it's a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty different um, system than... I mean, they always have... All, all of the Final Fantasy games kind of 
radically reimagine the magic system. But I'd kind of forgotten about this, you know, sort of leveling on its own and swapping back and forth. So it's pretty interesting. That's been kind of what I've been uh, thinking about and working on. Um, but in terms of naming, uh, I almost always go with the the the, the suggested real names, mm. um, unless there are things that make it really funny. Like in in Final Fantasy VII, when you get uh, Red Thirteen, right? The the dog guy. And you can his natural name is Red Thirteen. If you've played it already once, you know that his real name is Nanaki. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a confusion. There's a there's a, a a thing that happens later on when you go back to his hometown, and uh, and people start people who know him call him Nanaki, and your characters. Uh, are like Nanaki. Who's Nanaki? And they're like Nanaki is Nanaki. I'm like, oh, all right. I guess the guy that we've been calling Red Thirteen is called Nanaki. It's especially funny though if you just call him Nanaki from the beginning. Mm. And, <laughs> and then this, like this sounds hilarious. <laughs> this sounds like it would be like a joke that would just keep on giving throughout your it does. forty to eighty hour experience playing. This it game. absolutely does. It yeah. never. It never. It never gets old. Like if but you we called don't... Locke like Returner. Like returner, yeah. we have to go to the returners. <laughs> yeah, it's like because it's the same name. It's like you thought it would be a different name, but it's the yeah, same. yeah, yeah. Foreknowledge can can make things really, really funny when you get to make uh, decisions on your own. Very well. or also also spite. Like I know there's um <laughs> in in Chrono Trigger there's a robot character that you pick up who introduces himself as the serial number like R sixty six or something like that and then the sort of the most bleeding hardish of your characters is like that that won't do we have to give you a real name and you're supposed to call him whatever you want to call him and the, the default name is Robo and I programmed in R sixty six like <laughs> don't tell me how to feel about my electronic devices <laughs> that won't do at all we're gonna. Give Give you the name R sixty seven. Yes, you're getting upgraded. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'm the only person here who gives everybody names based on some sort of schema that I pick at beginning of playing of the game, like uh, members of the Cosby family. That or, would have been or, a great one. That would have been a totally great one. In this one, it was uh, it was pop culture figures that share essential archetypical characteristics with the person that they were that they were in the game. So it was like uh, what um, Tara was uh, was Clara after the Impossible Girl in Doctor Who, and uh, Locke was Briscoe after Bruce Campbell's Briscoe County Junior. The roguish cowboy um river was Celes, right because uh river tam from uh from from firefly is the like engineered government super soldier from the future and whatnot and what and i had uh, adam west and christian bale as the two brothers one of whom is a smarmy playboy who lives in a big house and the other of whom is like an angry guy who goes to live in the mountains and and they both do the same thing two different batmans and there's a lot of them i could keep going through all the silly names john wick was shadow because he has a dog and he hates people <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting though it's interesting because there's a a pretty close correspondence between those characters and the ones in the game but not a one-to-one correspondence right oh no, no. like like it's uh definitely the the campiness of Edgar's character is not something that I really would have noticed until just now when you suggested that there's something a little bit Adam Westish about him, and now it's all that I can think of. 
<laughs> right. Exactly. So, so thanks for that. <laughs> sure thing. Sure thing. I'm trying to think about uh, who else I managed to get. I mean, like, what I guess, and we never really knew that John Wick was able to equip the memento ring, right? Because of the death of his mother. I guess it would be from his wife that he dies early on in the movie. Uh, but anyway, moving on. So this segment. Okay. So John, John, you really helpfully posted a bunch of great discussion questions on the forums. I really encourage anybody listening to the podcast to check out the Overthinking It forums, where we always have a lively discussion every week of what's going on in Final Fantasy VI, this great game. And I wanted to jump, first of all, I know we, we brought up a few things at the beginning when we were asking around, but this first question, uh, I just I just think is a great a great place to start talking about this segment of the game because this is a segment of the game that a lot of it is about perception and politics and sort of reversals of expectations and the game setting up a bunch of different interactions that you have with what happens that are kind of contrary to what you would expect to do in a video game in terms of affecting the outcome, right? Uh, and 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 particularly you talk about what you refer to as the truth and reconciliation buffet, the dinner with Emperor Gestal, uh, and I could just go into first. Can you explain to you explain to me earlier? Earlier, but can you explain to everybody what a truth and reconciliation conference is? How it how it takes place in this video game, and then just sort of your setup and your take on why this. As you said, you said it's one of your favorite uh, parts of pretty much any video game, right? Like you sure. Really, you so really a truth it. and reconciliation commission is a committee or like a group that's assembled after some uh, government atrocity or prolonged train of abuses. Uh, probably one of the more popular uh, real-world historical examples is South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was established after Nelson Mandela was elected president uh, and after the abolish, uh, the abolition of uh, apartheid. Sort of like it, it's a... It, it's typically a mix between governmental and non-governmental actors, and it doesn't have real law enforcement powers. It's just meant to document uh, things that happen and to provide some role of resolving leftover conflict. In other words, not letting the not letting the injuries or grudges of the past linger or fester uh, into into the future. Uh, South Africa isn't the only country that's done it, but uh, it's particularly interesting Final Fantasy VI because, well, it, it happens in a video game. The Emperor literally invites everyone to dinner and says, hold up, before we have dinner, go and talk to as many people as possible. Not necessarily try and sway them to a point of view. Just literally talk to them. Just pull the wind, see uh, see what sort of see what sort of feedback you get, get get the pulse of the community and then come have dinner with us and you'll get to ask me the uh you know the progenitor of this you know torture regime against this alien species known as the espers uh, you'll get to ask me some questions and I'll I'll answer pretty much truthfully and we'll have we'll have dinner while we're doing it and you know pour some wine and maybe you'll have to fight someone whatever it's it's a thing you know it happens at dinner it's <laughs> It's a in a in a video game that's already known for its bizarre little mini games. It's a pretty bizarre little mini game. It's it's completely unlike anything else you've done, and it's it's just really fascinating. It's my favorite. Awesome. It's it's actually worth. I think it's worth noting, though, probably a coincidence that apartheid ended at this uh, roughly the same time that Final Fantasy VI was published in 1994. So <laughs> these are things that are contemporaneous with each other. Although, so I wonder whether the people who planned the Truth and Reconciliation Committee at the end of apartheid had been playing Final Fantasy VI when they decided that it was something that they were going to do to try to reconcile things, which would I think make almost me certainly. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. yeah. And that would make me question their intentions, uh, ultimately, because of what happens. But, Jordan, what were you saying? I <laughs> like, uh, you know, this is probably not a thing we should be making jokes about. I was going to say something hilarious about how, in the initial draft of that commission, uh, they only had four minutes to get it all done. But, you know, <laughs> real lives at stake and so on. So you can all pretend that you laughed at that hilarious joke, and we'll move on. Fair enough. So I, there's two ways I want to approach talking about this this dinner, right? Because this dinner is nuts. This dinner is crazy crazy the first is uh how did you approach it because you know as john mentions in his in his comments on the forums and has mentioned here like you know you have a lot of freedom in this part of the game to participate in this quest or not right do you can get on board gestal's love train and try to get all of the imperial troopers on your side or you can just blow it off and not bother or like you can also sort of talk talk sass to him at dinner right and thus kind of injure your ability to get several thousand gill in an elixir or two right um and whatnot. But, like, so there's that side. It's like, I guess I'll ask that side first. The first side is, like, well, what did you do? How did you approach it? What did you do, what did you do when you got to this point of the game? What were your thoughts or feelings about it? And can I, I tell that. you, an- another thing that you can do, if you want to, is use the toilets in the other jail cells, <laughs> which is a astonishing <laughs> bit of programming. Yeah. Um, but it, it wastes quite a bit of yeah. your time. Yeah. Uh, I, I have three answers for this, actually. Um, which is, one is what I did back when I was playing this sort of for real in the past, uh, which is I very carefully gamed out what the best outcome was and did that right. like that that was my naive reading of it mm-hmm. or playing of it or whatever going through this time i did uh i did something very different which was i did try to run around and talk to as many soldiers as possible because i felt like that's actually a a worthy goal and then i i role-played the conversation at dinner straight and it was a lot more unforgiving than the game wants you to be quote unquote right mm-hmm. um and then uh, I, I didn't get a very good result, actually, out of it. And I was kind of uh, nonplussed by this because I, I had remembered doing better at the game back when I played it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I was really trying to, to game the system rather than honestly giving my opinion that time. So then I, uh, I thought about, do I want to go back to make sure that I get all the good items. And I decided, you know, really I could go forward getting the items that I got. But I did then go back and uh, try to play through sort of the the proper way just so I could compare the two versions when we were talking about it now. And I think the difference between what the game quote-unquote wants you to do to get your, your monetary reward and what it feels natural to do is really interesting and, and bears some further scrutiny. But let's let other people weigh in before we, we scrutinize it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Richard, Justin, John. Yeah, I was going to say the the fact that uh, I am obsessively compulsed to play perfectly at a video game means that I had to optimize anything at all uh, because otherwise I might be doing slightly less well down the road and then I would regret it. Um, I also would like to uh, role play this because I don't think that if if this were completely devoid of reward, I would be way, way harsher on the emperor. But because that's not what—that's uh, not where the the money is. That's not really something that I feel able to do. Uh, maybe if we were playing not sort of on a on a time limit, and I didn't feel like I should have those rewards to get me through the game faster, I would f- maybe feel a little differently. But probably not. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it is interesting how this is a game where there's a lot of moral ambiguity and, and where you as the protagonist are encouraged to do a number of things that are on their face to be quite stupid. 
uh, over the course of the game. You know, like sort of trust Bannon without reservation, right? To have like the right ideas as to how to approach international politics. It's like, well, I met him in a raft. How we, how bad can he be? <laughs> right? Like Bannon's got to have his stuff together. I mean, he clearly hasn't combed his hair in a while and he runs around in a blanket, but you know what? He's in charge. So I'm gonna he lives in a cave. Yeah, he lives in a cave. Like the more I talk about it, the less I think this guy should be, he should have a seat at the UN Security Council. But, um, well, no, he just, he just mumbles to himself and then everyone feels better as if magically. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, Abandon's a religious leader, right? Because he prays, or is that a translation error? Right? That he. No, prays? that's that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like uh, he's like the Cardinal Richelieu of the rebellion. Um, but anyway, uh, but yeah. So so, and I guess John and Richard, we still haven't heard your guys' response to this challenge. I know it's a, it's a lot of people to get through, but I want. Uh, yeah, to I, I, in contrast to you know probably what I should be doing, I've never been much of an optimizer. And uh, it, it it sometimes not exactly comes back to bite me because I think most games are designed so that, you know, optimization is only optimal and it's not absolutely necessary. Um, but I tend to, and I always, you know, and I've gone, gone this way uh, in this game as well and through, in this playthrough as well, uh, I just go with what seems like the character would actually say, you know, rather than what would be best for the game or what, uh, what I'm personally feeling. And so on a, on a, you know, question by question on a, on a response by response basis, um, I guess I'm trying to play in character as much as I can. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that's definitely a different goal. So, did you bring? Have you brought different people along? I guess Locke is always there, and Terra is always there, right? Um, or am I thinking about a different part of the game? Um, I guess. So, how you respond or how you feel about what you're doing is that affected by who you bring along? Uh, just in general, or well, yeah. Usually, it's more um, like kind of who's in charge, mm-hmm. right? Like who's 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 uh, who have been uh, who's the the map screen mm-hmm. kind of emblem, right? Right. Bannon's in charge, man. It's just look look at the True. thermite charges. It's an inside job. No, anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry. Can I, ask, saying I mean, things. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask? I know this is kind of putting you on the spot, but can you think of a, a specific thing that you would do differently? Like with with the case of Final Fantasy, you know, uh, pick whichever two map characters you want. Uh, which one were you doing this time, and what did that make you say? And who might you have said it differently for? Or, or I know, like I said, that's maybe an unfair question. Oh yeah, uh, I don't think it's an unfair question. I just don't uh, think I have a very good answer. Um, I mean, I would say that um, I played through it with uh, with Cyan in my party, and it made it real hard to say anything other than uh, that was inexcusable when mm-hmm. the poisoning of Doma came up. I'm not sure that I would have felt differently about that in any case, but... Right. I think it's pretty hard to play in character as anyone, or even as yourself, and not unless you're specifically just trying to, you know, say the right the right the the things that you think the game wants to hear or whatever well or i mean you could be playing a, a very savvy diplomat right because the game 
at this point is is Gestal, right? Like he is right. the guy who you need to accomplish some diplomatic goal from, and maybe that's what he wants to hear, right? Is that oh, we don't really blame you for that? That is in the past. I could not I could not see honestly thinking that it was excusable. I could see having to lie to the face of the evil emperor, like the the literal evil emperor. Um, yeah. th- there might be a case where I'm sitting down in front of Kim Jong Un and I would tell him something I did not believe about his moral conduct. I could believe that. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I, I think I also think that um, it, it goes back to something that I think you guys have talked about before, which is that the various main characters have fairly similar sorts of motivations for hating the empire, right? Like they've all suffered some sort of personal injury, like a like a loved one has been killed in almost all situations, right? It's like if for 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 Adam West and Christian Bale, it's their father. <laughs> you know, for for John Wick, it's his dog. No, John Wick's dog wasn't killed. But no, you know, I know what you mean. Like you know, the, you know what I mean. Like uh, Cyan, it's his family. It's killed by the Empire, and, and yeah. Well, they're a group for a reason, right? Like they're 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 a party. They're all together on this. You know, they, they have their individual backstories and stuff but they all kind of have the same goals and basically the same motivation so yeah they're all basically good is the idea yeah. Yeah, and, and all and all personally wrong. They all have a lot of skin in the game, right? Now, I will say that that, that sort of changes, right, after the brunch. And I don't want to pull us too far away from the, <laughs> the brunch, brunch because... <laughs> oh, sorry, you were saying Truth and Reconciliation Buffet, not Truth and Reconciliation Brunch. Yeah. Uh, Give me a brunch buffet. That's a <laughs> no. yeah, There you go. Where else do you find buffets, to be honest? I'm, I'm calling it. It's a brunch buffet. I'd like to have a Chocobo Benedict with goat cheese and asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah. Side of uh, dried meat all fried up. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. What is Moogle tastes like. While we're on the subject of atrocities. But I feel like um, at this point... These right, Benedicts are an atrocity. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are not done with adding characters to the party, but we're done with adding characters that we care about. Yes? Like, ev- from here on out, everyone is a gag character or a joke character. Uh, I mean, we don't... Are we, are we doing it spoiler-free for people who are playing along, or are we playing, say, talking about the rest of the game entirely, too? Well, I mean, haven't we seen pretty much everybody, right? Uh, like, the people I'm talking about are Realm and Strago, who I feel like wow. we care a lot less about them, and it's partially because the Empire has not really done anything to them. Empire does stuff in front of them. Like, you don't fault them for wanting to join the cause, but I could never get invested in any of their, their story or motivation, particularly. I think that might just be because they're already so many characters and there's kind of a a limit an empathy limit for how how many characters you can really care about at once no that's true that's definitely true i mean it's also it's also i think a function of how useful they are in the chief gameplay functionality which is the battle screen uh i mean you you really need to work to make realm and, and struggle useful uh, which you can, and if you put in the effort, I promise it's rewarding. But uh, until such time, you've already got people who've got massive amounts of Esper and spell power and who are able to equip a much wider range of weapons. So it's easier to like them than to like these other people who have quote-unquote personality but aren't aren't big contributors. Yeah, And barring Realm and Strago, we are done meeting characters who are playable, who are essential uh, there are other playable characters you can get, but you can play the entire game without them just as easily, and it, it doesn't really change things. There is one character we have not met yet who I care about a great deal, personally, but if it's if we're doing a spoiler-free, po- spoiler-free podcast, then I don't want to go into it and who he is and what he does. Uh, we have seen him. He made a cameo, possibly, if you got Mog. If you got hey, Mog. hey, Pete, uh, let me ask you. 
uh, because this will be spoiler-free, spoiler what is the thematically relevant celebrity that you are going to name him after? Or her? Oh, man. Well, gosh. Well, it has to be someone who no one can control. Uh, that's definitely true. <laughs> someone no one can control who is uh, effective, um, but who for some reason people don't want to have them around. I mean Cage. I think I would call him Nick Cage. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I think I would definitely call him uh, like Nick Cag or just Cage. <laughs> yeah, these are all shortened, by the way. It's not Adam West. It's West. It's not Christian Bale. It's Bale, right? So, yeah. So be be on the lookout if you. This is the first time you're playing through the game blind. Be on the lookout for for Harry Nick Cage because he's out there and he can be part of your party. The future is possible. It's interesting that basically the way that that character works is that the berserk effect is applied to him all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, um, I was going to say Alf. Alf, yeah, Alf is. Yeah, I was going to go with. Go. I was going to go with Smarf. Smart season. Smart. That's good. Smart. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. All right. So we've been on this subject. John, did you want to weigh in with this, or should we move on to the other aspect I want to talk about about this dinner? Uh, I've I've said my piece. Let's move on. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. Right. Here's the thing. Uh, why does this this uh, challenge take place why it is just out only or guest out only getting you to talk to the soldiers like i understand why the diplomatic meeting needs to take place where you have the conversations with him about you know what's going to happen and how it's going to work and what you think and where he kind of gauges your motivations but why does gestal have you go around and talk to all of his soldiers to try to convince them to be to, to sort of join your cause to end the war when his ultimate plan is to wait about a week and then resume the war, right? Like, like really hardcore. Like, why is he? Is he just to trick you? I mean, that that seems reasonable. It might be it. But like, what did your guys? What is? Where is? Once you know what Gestalt's game is, right? Like, where does the brunch? Where does the Truth and Reconciliation Committee? And particularly, where does him like giving you access to the barracks and the toilets? Like, what what does that have to do with with what he's trying to accomplish? Well, to to take it literally in that light. Uh, I, I do want to, I, I want to well actually in a way that I hope provides some clarity, which is in, in a very real sense, Gestal's not really trying to restart the war in about a week. He's trying to sort of short circuit it. So, uh, I guess it's the equivalent of, uh, Truman getting a telegram that the Manhattan project has come online, that the tests at Alamogordo were successful and him saying, all right, let's pull everyone out of, uh, out of the Philippines. Let's just pull everyone one back from uh, from japan all you guys back up about a couple miles uh we're cool everybody right yeah. nothing nothing going on here those uh, enola gay you know fat man little boy etc so yeah he's he's discovered a weapon or he and kefka have discovered a weapon that's going to let him do away with the whole having to move troops into position aspect that's foiled would-be world conquerors since time immemorial so I don't know. Maybe he just wants to. Maybe he genuinely wants to disband the army and doesn't want them, you know, tagging along. I guess or left disappointed, or maybe he wants them to sort of like be reintegrated in the population, or at least have their concerns put at ease as well. Like he needs to fool. He needs to trick a lot of people into thinking the war is over. Not just the returners and the the allied nations i guess but also his own command staff like they need to think it because he's already as we'll see later he's already sort of leery about sharing power with kefka and i don't think he wants to split the pie more than two ways 
There's a lot of ways you could do this. You know, this is a model of posts that we used to do and overthinking it all the time and don't so much anymore, which is maybe a bad thing, where you think of like the, the elaborate angels dancing on a head of a pin way that it could be canonically true and viable. So like, <laughs> here's another possibility. Like the army could all be in on it. And it could all be a bluff to make you think that he's sincere and also exploiting a a pretty well understood um, aspect of psychological influence by asking you to do him the small favor of running around and talking to his soldiers. He makes it easier for you to say yes to the large favor of opening up the sealed gate to the Esper world, Mm. you know, because you're already in the habit of doing things that he asks you to do. Right, right, right. It occurs to me that it also allows you, it just sort of casually allows you to see that Kefka is in prison, which is an important part of his ruse to get you on board with what he's doing, because you can't think that Kefka is still in charge. Although I was very suspicious when I suggested that he execute Kefka, and he said no, because he definitely should execute Kefka, like definitely. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Justin, Richard, do you have any take on this, like where this all fits in with Gestalt? I mean, the other, I'll add another element to it, right? So there's a question... Do you think that when Kefka performs the part of Gestal to General Leo, that he is accurately reflecting what Gestal either, either said to him or thinks? Or do you think Kefka is creating an idea of Gestal that is represented differently from how Gestal would explain the situation to Leo if he were there? Um, how much is Kefka changing the, the plan, basically? Is Kefka, when Kefka goes to Albrook and Kefka kills General Leo, is he following Gestal's plan or is he going rogue a little bit and he's presuming to take over Gestal's position? And is the simulacrum that he puts up more like an evil twin or is it actually something that Gestal might have said? Yeah, I think it's usually safe to assume that Kefka is doing his own thing. <laughs> Fair enough. I was going to say, I, I think it's cl- probably the latter because, you know, if if for no other reason, it makes Kefka a bigger villain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so, and that's like a big goal of this. He's not a sympathetic character in any way. He's, he's No, a, he's a complete sociopath. He's, yeah. he's clownish. Uh, you know, he's like he's, a comedian he's, character. He's Iago. Basically, he has no motivation except to just kill everybody. Is that accurate? Is that true? I, I want to open that up to the to the to the group. What does does Kefka not have a motivation for what he's doing other than uh, than to to do ill will to people? Um, he does. I, have- I think he he's. I mean, he's he's the sad clown, right? He he can't. Something terrible happened to him. We I guess we I don't remember if we know what it is yet, but uh, he's. He's unable to feel anything, and I think that what he does is an attempt to sort of see if he can elicit some sort of emotion from himself, maybe. Like, if I, if I keep doing terrible things, will I feel bad about it? Oh, no? Okay, well, then let's do something worse. <laughs> Yeah, there is a, yeah. A, a passing dialogue line where they say that he was infused with magic as a baby and it warped his brain somehow, right? Mm-hmm. You, you get that little uh, tidbit. Interesting. Yeah. Justin, I, I, I buy your interpretation largely because when it comes to, and we're jumping ahead a little bit, it's within the same chapters, uh, when it comes to he and Gestal manipulating the statues, and uh, there's a point where Gestal is soaking up the power of the statues and reveling in it, and clearly he's the villain, but he's also clearly doing it to some end, namely to eliminate his enemies. And then at some point, Kefka... I think literally just starts screwing around with the statues, like, no, puts them into different corners. I'm like, Kefka, what are you doing? You're just, you're screwing with this just to screw with it now. What's wrong with you? He's like, shut up. I'm going to zap you. Bah! <laughs> like, he, he has, he gives no stated reason for doing what he does other than to, like, push people's limits. Like, his, his urges 
originate from some unspecified place and are satisfied and then promptly discarded. Mm. I just, I've always been interested, even since the first time I played this game way back in the mid 90s, in his like hate, 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 hate thing. You know, like, cause that's, he could say anything, and he's, instead he says, hate, 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 <laughs> right? And then what does that mean about him? I mean, he seems like he's a pretty emotional dude, right? That he's having, like, a, a he has some sort of relationship with this, I, this idea. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, whether he's, maybe, another, the question that this feels connected to is that, um, so we, so Ramu, right? Ramu gives up himself by turning himself into Magicite, and all the other espers, they all turn themselves into Magicite because Ramu suggests that they do. They give up their lives, right? Because Ramu says it's the thing that they're supposed to do. Uh, this makes me think that the, the espers are sort of less, uh, kind of, beings in the sense that people are beings who are invested in their own existence as a thing that they are doing and more like personifications of natural or super of natural forces or supernatural forces to the extent that the natural and supernatural are not reconciled in this in this game you know like like do you guys think of the espers as like fully formed consciousnesses with individual wills and whatnot right like uh, or you know individual aspects of the collective will um and in that sense like if Kefka has been sort of toxically exposed to magic, is there kind of a loss of ind- of like mental independence that comes with that? Does he feel sort of compelled? Like if you had a, a Kefka magicite, what would it do? Right? I don't know. Go ahead. Like you see the platonic abstraction of hatred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically what I'm what I'm asking. Well, you, you could cast poison, I think, right? Or doom. Or doom. <laughs> there already is one of those. I don't remember which one. His doom timer is shorter. Yeah, are you talking about Shote? <laughs> Shote does bio and Shote, doom. that's yeah. the one. Because he's a big pig. I remember that, right? It's like Shote. I don't know if actual Shote is a pig, but that's what a Shote is, right? So something that, something you just said uh, sort of segues into something that I wanted to bring up, which is uh, sort of what are espers and sort of what is the physiology of an esper? Like an, uh, an esper can reproduce with a human, right? We, that's, that's something that we learn. So. Right. Wait, do, do they share, like, do humans and espers share a common evolutionary parent at some point in the world of this? That we are still genetically close enough to espers that we can have babies with them? Or are they sort of like Greek gods, which can have children due to some divine nature? Or is it just sort of hand-waved via magic? Uh, something yeah, else I, think it's, I think it's generally the, the idea that anyone can reproduce with anyone because it's cool um i mean there is there's the idea that that for a long time uh humans and espers coexisted right but i don't think it goes far back enough into the uh into the evolutionary theory of it Mm. beyond beyond just storytelling yeah. You know, a storytelling convenience. Touching on one of my pet themes from this podcast, are we to believe that the little glittering specks of light that we see converging into the infant Terra are in that is in fact literally how things reproduce in Final Fantasy VI? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that was that was a hardcore human on Esper sparkly gamete action. Well, it, you know, <laughs> you joke about that, but like the same graphic that is used to represent the consummation of Terra is used uh, when the uh, when the three the three 
statues thrown out of alignment impregnate the earth with its ruin, right? Like there's a little spark that goes down from the statues and descends slowly down into the earth, you know, almost like a uh, like some sort of planet killing missile shot from a spaceship, and it nestles into the earth, and then you see things start to split apart, right? As if like the earth has been inseminated by the sorcerers sorcerers of magic and is giving birth this horrible new tomorrow. Um, so I don't know. I think that like, what do twinkling stars mean in this game, right? And in, in, in the floating island, a twinkling star is a boss, right? Uh, which is a. It's not, I don't think that's a graphic that's used again. Uh, usually, they show you the boss as like a, a person or a creature, right? Um, but anyway, we're we're getting pretty far yeah. ahead. Uh, I did want to ask about what you guys think since we've been on the topic of Kefka, we've been on the topic of the of the of the the uh, emperor. Somebody we really got to talk about because he's one of the more compelling parts of this whole game is, is General Leo. I think because this is the part of the game where you get to play as General Leo, right? Um, and, and so, what did you guys? What was your guys' take on General Leo? And and have you guys discussed him previously in the podcast? And and I've missed it. Um, or is there is there something that needs to be said about this guy at this point? I think there's some stuff that ought to be said. Shana, in one of her forum posts, made a dichotomy between Leo and Cyan, where uh, Cyan is sort of the the old-fashioned uh, model of a military man, where he's a, a personal retainer and he excels at single combat. That's like his mm. thing. Yeah. And then Leo, in that uh, little chapter, is shown as a, a very, very compassionate um, kind of uh, battle for the hearts and minds and uh, beloved by his troops soldier, like post-Cromwell soldier, let's say, right? Yeah. Where it's about military discipline and uh, leading leading foot soldiers effectively in the field, right? Rather than individual one-on-one combats. Um, which I thought was a really interesting aspect of it. And we could talk about that. One thing that I had sort of wanted to say about that at the time is that you could also look at Leo and Cyan as, as, as being exactly the same. Because they're both good soldiers, and then neither one of them, even though you have good soldiers on both sides of the conflict, neither one of them is able to stop the poisoning of Doma, uh, which is kind of a statement about... I think that that's a statement about war in the post-nuclear age, actually, right? That uh, probably in Napoleonic times, if you had enough good people on either sides of the, the conflict, you could drag those armies to a halt. Whereas at this point, you know, with, when you're poisoning an entire city uh, just by dumping one package into a river, then you, you just need a couple of bad apples and war will be more horrible than war was ever meant to be. And war is meant to be pretty horrible anyway. Um, so you get, you get that is, Leo, up to to this point, it's interesting then that you take him into a single combat, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I like the how you're talking about yeah, the difference between the personal retainer and the professional soldier. And it's interesting how both those roles uh, don't like both of those roles seem it's the model of the professional soldier soldier you're talking about the sort of post cromwell professional soldier who's almost a member of a caste right who's almost sort of like brought into not necessarily who's recruited off the street but this <laughs> it's sort of, almost like the same sprite is used to represent every single one of them yeah <laughs> yeah yeah although we do meet one of them in bed right where he's like i think i'm gonna go join the army but but the point is that like we don't we don't we're not in this game we're not meant to see uh, although we're meant, when I guess the word, the contemporary word would be problematized, but that's such a terrible word, word sometimes. But the relationship between the actions of the individual soldiers and the outcomes of the things that the political bodies that they belong to are, are attempting to accomplish, right? Like there's a there's a separation between what Cyan is trying to do and like what Doma was, how Doma was involved in like a conspiracy against the emperor or potentially with Figaro or the Returners, right? Like Cyan has a very clear idea of what he's going to do, and it's very limited in its 
that's very specific. And the same thing with General Leo, such that you can say that was a good man, even though he's also partially responsible for bringing like the the hellscape into being, right? Like because he's he's responsible for the empire being successful and continuing to exist, right? Like um, oh, and that yeah, but there's of- there's very, there's very little sense of that sort of institutional presence uh in this game because i mean obviously we're, we're meant to not like the empire but this chapter in particular does a great job of trying to personify that specifically in emperor gestal and kefka in particular it's not like it, it, there's not an ending where you know those two have the best intentions but the the machinery of war has sort of gotten out of their hands and the uh, the Magitech Industrial Complex demands <laughs> demands a, a constant, uh, ceaseless churning of new Magitech armors and new mag- new Magisite shards, uh, regardless of the of the need for them. And so, more and more conquest has to be undertaken until the until the world is finally completely conquered, and then you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, like it's clear that the empire is bad because Gestal and Kefka are bad people, not because a certain amount of power agglutinated to such a size is inherently bad. I don't think that's the message they're they're going for. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that you learn in the uh, the Truth and Reconciliation brunch buffet is that there is a spectrum of wickedness that the average soldiers have, ranging from Kefka is a terrible person. I can't believe he poisoned Doma. I'm so glad he's in jail. So that's the good poll. To returner scum, I think is the harshest thing that you get uh, from one of the the grunts that you run across who then tries to fight you. You do not talk to a random imperial soldier who says hate, 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 and uh, and. Gl- Stories about the the genocide that they're planning to, to carry out, right? That sort of thing is reserved for the uh, the characters with the vivid color palettes. Yeah, there's no tea party in the Imperial Army, apparently. Yeah, it's interesting that they it's interesting that they find it uh, that they make it so important um, to kind of give bases to the Empire because generally, I think in this kind of a story. You, you you tend to see the good guys as individuals, and then the empire, the bad guy is this faceless you know corporation or whatever, but it needs to have a face at the same time because otherwise you can't really punch it mm. yeah, it was interesting to me when I was restarting the game again to think about the fact that everybody calls it the empire even when they live on different continents and independent nations right like it's like figaro isn't under the domination of the empire like the empire is trying to exert influence over it and when the game starts it hasn't like forcibly invaded yet but that people still refer to it as the empire and i think that that you're sort of conditioned by other video games and by other stories to want to think that this empire is already in charge of everything and is not just one political force out of many political forces that is involved in a struggle that is largely morally neutral right that well like- i think it's i think it's that um the empire is shorthand for bad anything that's called the empire you're automatically already Mm -hmm. already rooting against right 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 um unless you're from new york yeah and Um, plus there and plus and plus there are (laughs) that's interesting plus there are character limits in the character names anyway so like it's not like the it's not like the name hegemony would fit (laughs) good point jordan what were you saying all right. Uh, sorry about that. It looks like we were we were talking over each other a little bit. I mean, okay. So so there is a big arc 
<laughs> there is a big arc here that we're talking about, which is about you know Gestal and Gestal's agency within the Empire and what the Empire is doing and like what you're doing in, in relation to the Empire, and that all comes to a certain fruition. But there's another big part of this segment of the game that we really do need to talk about, even if it can be kind of the stakes are deliberately lowered as sort of like a little moment of breath before the big clash happens, and that's like Thamasa and the Mage Warriors, right? And like uh, the the this sort of isolationist little hamlet where nobody will talk to you until you get to the appropriate time to do so, uh, and where you discover the sort of legacy of the old War of the Magi, but kind of like bound up in, in, in a kind of provincial way of living. Like, what did you guys think about Thamasha? And like, I know John posed in his questions, his discussion questions, uh, what did he refer to it as uh, something about whether they were going, they were, whether they were, uh, oh, here it is. Um, are, in the global war narrative, are they conscientious objectors, the neutral but well-defended Swiss, an uncivilized island waiting to be colonized? Like, where does Thamasha or Thamasha uh, fit into all this? I'm going to go with the latter, because why not? Uh, just to take the, the weirdest possible take. So the, these guys are the equivalent of those South Seas islands in World War II that had never seen uh, modern hydraulic or aer- aerodynamic technology before. Uh, and then the Empire shows up while waging this war and says, hey, nice island, we're going to take it over now and pretty much rip rip another smaller island out of the crust of the earth, uh, splitting your village in two and ruining your otherwise peaceful lifestyle, which didn't need any contact with the quote-unquote civilized West beforehand, but too bad, you need to be part of the world now. Uh, deal with it. Peace out. K. Okay. I mean, that seems like a pretty, pretty, because uh, no, especially at the end of this particular mini arc, when we see the lengths that Gestal and Kefka are willing to go to, which were not necessarily apparent before in terms of total world domination from a sky island, uh, it does seem that it's unlikely that the Major would be able to sit out the conflict because um, they've been protected previously by geography, which is not a limit when you have magical flight powers, I suppose. But what do you get the rest of you guys think about uh, Strago and Realm, and then it's, it's a, the land of old-timey blue mages? I find it hard to think of them as Switzerland, because you don't get the, the sense that they are keeping close tabs on the whole, whole situation, mm-hmm. and like, you know... Allowing people to, to store money with them or whatever, they seem to be ignorant of it, right? right. Like that, that's the impression that you get that it, that they are a, a lost, you know, a good old fashioned lost city. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you know what is happening is a repetition of the dangers of the wars of the Magi, which is what created them and is the backbone of their culture, right? And so, you know, I guess, is there a sense that they're hoping to also avoid it by just not involving themselves in the world? Uh, I guess it shows you that that's not a viable strategy, right? That, like, yes, politics seems to inexorably lead to conflict, but the absence of of involvement in politics also doesn't necessarily isolate you as effectively as you might think. Right, like, uh, um... Yeah, isolationism exactly. That is ultimately you're you're just uh, waiting around for whoever wins to come after you. Mm. Yeah, there's also a sense in which because they already have magic, and this war is sort of over whether people will get to use magic in various ways. There's a sense in which this is going to be a tortured metaphor. Um, it, it's like certain elements of American and European society that don't have to have any personal in, 
personal encounters with industrialization, right? Um, you don't have to work in a factory. You don't have to have a factory in your town, but you get to reap the benefits anyway. Look to places like China, where there is still massive, large-scale industrialization going on, and says, hey, guys, don't, don't do that. That's going to that's gonna mess up your environment. That's going to be, it's going to mess up our environment eventually. Just stop doing that, right? Um, and th- th- there's a, a point of kind of uh, blind privilege there, right? Where, like, be- because you already have the benefit of it, uh, you can kind of wring your hands hel- helplessly over other people uh, trying to attain that benefit by means that you would think of as problematic, right? Mm. That works. That's fair. But there is another aspect of, of Thamasa that I find interesting, which is that, at least in my translation, you're told that they originally got their magic powers back back in the, the days of yore because their ancestors used magicite, right? So the same, uh, the same murder-based magic acquisition. There was someone on the forum who pointed out that magicite is just an Esper corpse, so it doesn't have to be murder-based. But man, if I see someone walking around with a necklace of ears, which, sure enough, those are left behind if someone dies peacefully, I'm still going to freak out, right? So <laughs> magicite is, is the murder-based magic a- acquisition. But since the War of the Magi, the rest of them that have existed in all that time have been acquiring their magic through sex and childbirth. Right? right, which is right. the way the way that Terra comes by it naturally is uh, is through sex and childbirth. So that's like the other way that magic can be acquired, and I find that really interesting. It would be it would be a totally different game if when uh, Gestal gets in the flashback kicked out of the Esper realm and he comes across the baby, he's like, "Well, this changes everything." Like start. Uh, uh, <laughs> Operation like his seduction brigade. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so I think he becomes a, pick a magic uh, magic eugenics program to eventually breed yourself a nation of magicians. <laughs> <laughs> you managed to make it somehow horrible and worse. I thought it was the, the, like the light and fluffy version. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so I guess I guess we really should progress on to to the end of things. Richard, were you trying to get in there with something? No, no, we can, we can, we can move ahead. Cool. All right. I, I guess one, one more thing I wanted to say before we move on to the final, the final floating island and its ultimate consequences is, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, Gestal and his plans, right, and the revelation of how terrible they are. I think it's interesting that in this part, this part of the game is the first time when you encounter the Guardian, right, the Guardian robots, uh, and the Guardian robots are indestructible, right? They they cover the Magitech research facility, so you can't get back into it, right, and you can't beat them, and they're tremendously powerful. And then Kefka brings a bunch of them, and General Leo like has no shot against any of them. And one of the things that's kind of notable over the course of the beginning and middle of the game is whenever you encounter the Imperials, like they're tough, but they're not that tough. Like the Commandos and the Templars and the Vector Pups and all the other stuff that the Imperials bring around, like, you know, they're like, they're, they would be formidable if you didn't know what you were doing. But once you're kind of a reasonable adventurer, even if you just have a sharp knife, like they're not really all that like you you could believe that the empire would have difficulty for pragmatic reasons conquering the world with a bunch of vector pups that are always fleeing as soon as they get down to one person one dog left on the field but then you're like oh no gestal also has like a small handful of completely indestructible robots that he can deploy anywhere in the world at the moment's notice it's like oh and how long has he had these it's not specified so it's like this the idea that he's been kind of holding back that you might think that as Thamaja in particular you might think that the dynamics of the political situation are such that you can retain isolation 
But what you don't know is not only is it like an eventuality that you're that the people around the world are going to develop technologies to take you out, but it's like already happened, and it's just the only reason that they haven't come by yet is because it's not to their advantage to do it yet, and that kind of makes it a little bit more tragic uh, to think about how they were proceeding in ignorance, but. That aside, we need to talk about like the floating island and the end of the world. I mean, you know, it's just it's just such a huge, such a huge iconic moment in video games. Um, gosh, I mean, who did you guys take to the floating island? Did you did you pick up for sentimental reasons? Did you pick them for? I mean, what was your floating island experience like? I feel like I have to not ask a specific question and just leave it open ended to your guys' experience of this particular this particular part of the game. Well, one one thing I will ask the group, and this is sort of for informational purposes because I've forgotten. I brought Celez with me to the island because she was one of my more powerful magic users and also capable fighters. So it's like, oh, I, I need her in the party. But there is a a sequence uh, near the final confrontation with the statues where Kefka and Gestal try and give orders to Celez and she shrugs them off. Uh, does that happen if you don't bring Celez? Like, does she show up anyway, as as happens sometimes in other cutscenes where someone will, someone who needs to be in the scene will just show up as if she's followed you? Or is that whole portion ignored if your party happens to be, for whatever reason, like Terra, Locke, Realm, Strago? She shows up at the end. Okay, so yeah. she always shows up. Yeah, if you just bring uh, different people, she'll show up at the end uh, when you confront Kefka and Gestal. Yeah, that's when Gestal tries to marry Kefka off to her, right? Yeah, it's sort of like, <laughs> we, you will, we will all be a big family, and you'll rule by my side, and all that stuff. And she's like, this is ridiculous. Well, and, that's how that works, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, was, it, was that what it said of yours? In mine, it was way more explicit. It was like, hey, I, why don't you two get together and have a lot of babies to make magic children? Oh, God, no, that oh, wasn't. Oh, 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 Are you playing wow. the, like, the advanced translation or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, here's the line. It says, uh, why, don't I give you, why don't I give you and Kefka the task of creating progeny to populate my new Magitech empire? Well, there you go, Jordan. You've got your your syringe happening. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Wow, wow. I can I can understand why that was uh, perhaps censored in the original uh, much harsher Nintendo. Yeah release did they i one line in the original nintendo release that was censored that's in this section that was censored for the for the first version and i think was probably rewritten for the advanced version was when edgar briefly entertains the possibility of hitting on realm but thinks that she's way too young right did you how was that in the advance did they did they make that joke or no um i don't remember off the top of my head let me get back to you all right no worries no worries uh while we're while we're on the topic of the inappropriate things I would just like to point out that uh, there's a scene where the like the schoolgirl and the octopus kind of like are placed into superposition, <laughs> and Locke like walks off of the field of view, like down behind the menu screen, as if to be like, I want no part of this. And in the translation that I have, which is the old school one, like says, ultra. And realm, what are you doing? And I feel like it must be like a, that's like the translator talking to the original story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. I found I found the answer to your question. If you're curious, yeah, sure, go for it. So um, the actual line in Japanese uh, is that Edgar can't wait for another three years. Uh, he, he, I just can't. I can't wait that long. Uh, in the GBA translation, he says, uh, "Not even a woman yet. Give it another eight years, will you?" Okay, fair enough. And, and, uh, and, yeah, yeah. And in the in the Super Nintendo version, he says, "You grew up way too fast," to himself. Uh, and and it's, I think it's been adjusted to 
talk about how this what, this little girl is being forced into this life of adventure in much the similar way that he was forced into a life of politics and rulership before he wanted to be. Uh, so it's totally different, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a lot of moments in the old Super Nintendo translation which don't make any sense at all, and then you find out that the translator was like, I'm not comfortable with what was said here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess before we go to the floating island, I guess we should talk about Ultros, right? And Ultros and Chupon and why they show up now, right? We should like, always talk about Ultros. We should always talk about Ultros. So why do Ultros and Chupon show up now? And like, what's the deal with Realm's affinity for them? And how does that have to do with like the broader political conflict and existential conflict that everybody's facing? I'll say one thing, which is that the destruction of the world is the point where bad boys style this expletive gets real. And Ultros is one of the least real qualities of the game. So there's kind of a crescendo of Ultros from his first appearance to right before the realness getting, right? Um, and, uh, and there's just like an escalating crescendo of his encounters. So they come closer together, they become more elaborate, he becomes more powerful. So that's one thing that's happening, right? Is that there's like a, a climax of silliness uh, that makes way for the climax of tragedy. Right. I mean, it's worth noting that at this point when Ultros appears, and I don't know if it's this way in the Game Boy Advance version, but in the Super Nintendo version, when you defeat Ultros, he gets the death animation. He doesn't get the, like, I'm going to disappear into the floor with a splash animation. He, like, he goes poof, and he, as if he dies, right? Um, so we don't know if we're going to see him again at this point, unless you play the game before. But, uh, but it's like, he, it's for reals. And I totally, I totally get what you're saying there. And he, I mean, even he flags it, right? In, in my translation, he says, like, no, trust me, this is our last fight. Which right, I think yeah, is yeah. kind of hilarious. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, there's, there's no room for Ultras in the world of Ruin, right? How tone deaf would that be? Right. I mean, he, he, might, be, he's, he might be there, but it's not going to be the same. It's going to be like a cameo or something like that. There's, you can't yeah. do the same nonsense. It just wouldn't make any sense. Definitely. Hint, 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 hint. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah he, he shows up and pretty much fulfills the role he's always filled, which is to start a fight that derails what your expectation of the plot would be. Mm. So, like, you, you think, oh, okay, we're heading to the floating island. Oh, okay, we're dealing with uh, the Imperial Air Force. No, that makes sense. Oh, what? No, it's an octopus and his weird pink giant face monster that sneezes and is immune to fire like what okay what's going on yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, like is there any logic at all to the the specific plot uh uh areas that ultra shows up i think he just he's kind of got his own he's kind of like kefka in a way that he's not really concerned with anybody else he's got his own agenda and and he just kind of shows up to 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 mess up your mess up your day whenever it suits him whenever he thinks that he's got the advantage rather than when it kind of makes sense in terms of the plot yeah, I, I think that the the purpose for Ultra, like the timing and purpose for his appearances, is less about his intention and more about like genre and about the tone of what's happening in the story at the time. Right. Um, and, right. and I mean, there's like the times he shows up is he shows up on the river, he shows yeah. up at the opera, he shows up uh, by the, uh, the by the magical statues, like the story, and he shows up during like the flight to the final confrontation. And these are all kind of moments that have a certain um, sort of artistic flair to them, or a certain kind of like. Uh, I mean, I hate to say operatic because it's so on the nose, but like have an <laughs> operatic quality where like, I mean, it's called the Lathe River, right? Which is one of the four rivers of the underworld. And it's, it's like mythological. This is places where real things don't happen. These are, these are suspended spaces where people don't have to deal with actual problems, which is like rolling down the river or like yeah. 
Go ahead, mm. no, It's also interesting that there are all points where your control over the motion of the story is suspended, right? Either because yeah. you're on mm. the raft or because the opera is going on or because, like, it's sort of mid, almost mid-cutscene within the statue room, right? Like, you're in a flow state. Another place that you... Um, not, not the kind of flow state that people talk about with games, right? But you are literally flowing. Uh, another place that they totally could have put him and it would have made absolute sense, but they don't, is during the escape from the Magitech facility when you're riding the railroad. An Ultras oh, fight there yeah. would have been fine, right? Yeah, yeah, probably. Something, something about Ultras that I find curious is that his... He, he and, uh, I guess, uh, in mind, he was Typhon... Um, there, Typhon is a is a Greek mythology reference as well, but uh, in in the original Ultros was Orthros, which is a reference to uh, the Eastern Christian Church. Which, really? Which, uh, yeah, that's it's one of the um, oh, what's it the the night hours, which is uh, four different. Uh, which, I think it's what's what Vespers is one, um, Midnight Office is one, and there's one more, and then Orthros is the fourth one. And it's something that you that's celebrated in monasteries. Oh, interesting. So, like, what does that mean? That he's like, is, is that the 3 a.m. one, then? Because Ves- um, Vespers is, like, at sundown, right? So, Orthros is uh, celebrated daily so as to end at sunrise. It's the longest and most complex of the daily cycle of services, celebrated in the early morning, preceded by the midnight office, and usually followed by the first hour. Huh. I don't know. I am no expert in the Eastern Christian Church, so... Well, that's interesting. So it's an idea of the darkest... It's the darkest point of the night that that leads to the dawn, is when Orthros is, right? Um, but it's something that happens predictably and by ritual. It's not like a night that drops as a surprise. It's not... I mean, Ultros, you know, it implies a finality, Right, the the ultra mm-hmm. like or not finality. Um, that'd be ultima. That would be if he is ultimos. Ultros means that he's beyond. Right, ultra meaning beyond, beyond what's happening. Orthros sounds like a more precise sort of name for what's going on. Yeah, well, yeah, because like it, it will come by cyclically, right? Right, right. Whereas, right. Uh, I mean, I guess that ultra just means outside, but I think that the you immediately jump to ultimate last. Right, like yeah. this is the most powerful of the octopuses. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, and then like, he calls himself that because he's not really all that dangerous and it's an ironic name like Juxer the mighty from xeno warrior princess right where it's like i give myself a fancy name because i'm a buffoon but uh but it's this idea that he's this like recurring thing that represents both like the midnight and the sunrise like that's kind of cool that's kind of a cool name wouldn't it be great if uh instead of the world of ruin it would have been the age of ultros <laughs> <laughs> that's how i would have done it that would be a, a Final Fantasy hack to end all Final Fantasy hacks, where right. Ultras, Ultras replaces Kefka at the crucial point on the floating continent, and then in the world of Ruan, world of Ruan, the world of Ultras, every sprite, combat, and map is just Ultras. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of hate, 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 it's like octopus, 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 or Ultras, 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 Ultras. You know, eight, 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 right? eight, eight. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Oh man, there you go. There it is. Um, okay, so we're probably going to have to go into the world of ruin next episode because I don't think we really have time this episode to dig into what this, what it all means for the game to transform in this manner. But even as Ultros is kind of the guy who holds our hand as we leave the world of balance, I think the guy whose hand pick we, whose hand holds us as we enter the world of ruin is probably Shadow, right? Like Shadow, I, and this might be if you choose not to go back for Shadow, this might be the last time that you sh- see Shadow in the game. So first of all.
of all, I'll just leave this open and I'll and I'll count to three if anybody has any has answers this in the affirmative. Uh, did anybody leave Shadow on the island? One. Yeah, I killed him. You killed him. Wow. Yeah. Because I had never done it before, and that's only because I had heard that you could save him. And I decided that this time I was going to do the thing that I'm sure I would have done uh, had I been playing, like, blind when I was, you know, first 15 or whatever playing this, um, and, and just left, the, left as soon as I got to the end. Yeah. I did that the first time I played, too, back in, like, 1995. Yeah. Or 96, whenever it was. Totally just jumped off the end and left him to die. But yeah, I mean, what do you think about that now that you've done it, now that you've made that really consequential choice for the rest of your playthrough? Well, I think that I my goal to experience what it would have been like to do that uh, accidentally is not really carrying out, because although I would have jumped onto the airship as soon as I got there, I would have expected Shadow to turn up. And right. like this time I did it knowing that I, you know, not only knowing that I was leaving him to die, but knowing that he would have made it back in time. It's not like a thing where, oh, well, he probably won't make it, so we better save ourselves. But where I was like, eh, you know what, just just die. Yeah. Um, and it's not so, like there's an animation. Is there an animation where he dies? Do they show you? No, he's just like he's gone. Absent. Yeah. Which it's totally- to be fair, he which to be fair, he is for a lot of the game anyway. Like he's he's absent without explanation. So it's entirely reasonable to assume that oh, okay, he'll just show up at some random point. Like he always shows up at some random point, and uh, nothing I need to do about it. Mm. Yeah, he's right. probably fine. It's like Bo- like Boba Fett, you know. Like really, we know that he somehow got out of there. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. It's, we gotta I mean, read actually- the uh, Final Fantasy. I was going to say, you have to read the Final Fantasy VI uh, extended universe novels to find yeah, that exactly. out. Yeah, <laughs> Although those are all non-canon now, though. Yeah, that's right. J.J. Abrams is rebooting Final Fantasy. and is. Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Can you imagine? <laughs> Think about that for a second. Okay, and I guess we should really – we should confront what happens to Gestal, right? Gestal eats it is probably the polite way of saying it. Another polite way of saying it is that he gets murdered and his dead body is kicked off of the island by his former stooge. Right, like another way is that he he totally gets totally murdered and killed and dies, uh, and he totally fails at what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, so this is another one of these little crescendos that I was talking about that you have uh, in fairly short order: order Leo, then Gestal, and then potentially Shadow getting killed off for real, um, which is as dramatic in its way as the destruction of the world. I think. Yeah, I mean, do you put Ultros in that in that uh, ascension? I guess. Oh no, totally. Actually, I hadn't been, but I should have because I mean he's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> so it goes what like so it goes Leo, Ultros, Gestal, Shadow, and that's like the art. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's. I guess from... that is. No, go, sure, on. go ahead. I was just going to say, from the most sympathetic bad guy uh, to, like, only slightly less sympathetic Ultros, to, like, a very unsympathetic bad guy to the least sympathetic good guy. I mean, you know, we, we have reasons for liking Shadow, but he's probably the most, scare quotes, evil of your, uh, of your party, if only for his outfit. Mm. And then you see, of course, everybody fall off the airship and presume dead, with, you know, Terra holding on ver- at the very last with Setzer, right? Um, so you could even extend it to say that everybody dies, although, of course, we know that that's probably not the case. Well, just everybody in the entire world who's not very important. Yes, yes. That, just them. Just them. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess that is one of the benefits of having a ridiculously large cast. Um, it does get uh, difficult to 
you know, make your parties and things sometimes, but you can have uh, really dramatic stuff. Like you can really just slaughter half of them and it'll be really impactful from a dramatic, you know, plot point of view. Um, but you still have enough left over to keep playing the rest of the game. You know, it'd be an interesting uh, design decision, which actually, come to think of it, was done in a uh, uh, relatively little-known one of these games called Live Alive, is if the characters that you actually used, like the, the four who have the highest experience at this point in the game, were the only ones who survived. Mm. So, like, Gao and Mog and whoever, like, are, are casualties to the plot, and you have to, to live with the fact that by leaving them behind on the airship and ignoring them all the the time you kind of neglected them to death interesting wow interesting. wow all right so we're, we're pretty much at time so you know we're definitely there's definitely a ton to talk about about the transformation of the world of balance to the world of ruin starting i think with the fact that they're never referred to as these things in the game right like uh and this is a term that's sort of imported into the game from outside of the game as a way of explaining what's happening that i'm not sure is sufficiently robust but uh because the balance is of the goddesses who are of course not a presence in the world of balance at all until it is already in jeopardy right like we're not we don't experience the world of balance in the context of the goddesses uh and certainly it is a world of ruin uh right but uh but what it is a ruin from is kind of up for debate or discussion but anyway does anybody have any before we before we kind of cross that point of no return, he, you know, is there is, you you can jump on the airship now. Is there anything you want to talk about up until this point of the story before we wrap up this podcast and move on to the darker second chapter of this whole? Why, why yes, I think we now need to spend ninety nine hours discussing each and every single one of Gao's rages from the belt. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do at this point in the game, right? You fly to the belt and you walk around forever. <laughs> you could also probably rank them and then deliver them BuzzFeed style, Gao's top ten best rages. Yeah. Actually, you know what? That's something we totally missed about this whole segment. This is the part of the game where you get... This is a, It's a very, very super fun part of every Final Fantasy game, and it happened in this chapter of the game, which is you actually get the opportunity to take the airship anywhere you want. Right, like there's very, very brief windows in the story, but they can be long windows if you spend them, uh, you know, getting rages on the Velt or whatever. But like, did you guys take advantage of the opportunities you had with the airship to like go wherever you wanted before advancing the story? Not as much as I should have, and I think it was partly out of obligation to the podcast. Like, oh, I want to get yeah. through as much story as I can, so I can't, I can't spend weeks, you know, finding those few extra espers at the auction house or finding the weird monsters that have weird, equi- weird, rare equipment drops that'll be useful for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, I, I haven't really, I haven't really gone around at all. Like, it, it became very apparent to me because the. Uh, the save file immediately below the one that I'm using now, uh, which is my last playthrough. It's something like I left it out at some, something like 45, 50 hours. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm really not going to be able to, uh, to take that much time to do it this time around. Mm -hmm. It definitely changes your perspective on these sorts of games, which, you know, back before you could roam the internet for hours on end as a teenager, uh, roaming this kind of world was something that you could take a lot of pleasure in for a long time. It's a very different sort of experience. And also, I think, explains a lot of the discontinuities in the story in that it's really not meant to be experienced in one continuous sitting, right? It's something that's episodic and that you play parts of it over and over again at different times. Um, But you know what else is episodic? 
this podcast and this episode is pretty much over so if you want to if we really if you haven't yet please subscribe to the book club podcast we'll be hashing out the rest of final fantasy 6 with great pleasure and aplomb even as the world darkens around us and we hope that you'll join us on that journey uh you know you can check out all the other cool stuff that we have on our website with our other podcasts and our music podcasts and our articles and videos and all that other fun stuff um any 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 final final words before i say the final final words that'll end this end this episode for good hate 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 <laughs> well all right fair enough so for hate 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 and everything else please visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve